think of today as like the last day of school. Y'all remember that? If you're old head like me, that's when you were still passing pictures around on the last day of school and people were signing the back of the pictures with stuff like KIT, which meant keep in touch. Uh, you would like somebody. It was amazing. You'd like somebody for six or seven solid months, then wait until the last day of school to actually ask for or give them your number. Y'all don't know nothing about that. But today is the last day of school on Jamel Hill is unbothered. Or rather, this is just the season finale of the very first season of this historic podcast. We're going back into the lab and I promise you that season two of Jamel Hill is unbothered is going to be epic. Epic, I tell you. Season two will return in May, but not to worry. Um, You will hear from me during the break because I have another podcast I'll be kicking off while this podcast is on a short hiatus. And I'll give you the details of that later in the show. But for now, let's get back to the last day of school. Since it is the last day, I'm not gonna pass out my number. I am instead passing out awards. As my regular listeners know, we have had a number of memorable guests, so many memorable moments. There's been laughter, tears, uh, not by me, by some of my guests. and. This just goes back to what I originally wanted this podcast to be in the beginning. I wanted it to represent complexity, levity, and fun. I like to think I accomplished all that in season one. So coming up next, let's relive all the highs from this year with the first annual JHIU Awards on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. So because this is an award show, I'm going to do things a little bit differently today. I got a few things I want to get off my chest first. Then I'm going to tell you what I'm bothered about. And speaking of that, later on, at the end of the show, I will reveal the best fucking I'm bothered of the first season. That's coming up later on. But first, we need to have a brief conversation about the Netflix documentary Tiger King. Have y'all seen this yet? If you haven't, fast forward a couple minutes because spoiler alert, I'm just going to talk about everything that happened. So too damn bad if you haven't seen it, just fast forward this part and, and, and join us on the other side. So Tiger King is a Netflix docuseries that follows this outrageous man named Joe Exotic, who is a gay zookeeper or former zookeeper uh, who specialized in big cats, tigers, lions, that sort of thing. He's now in the pen serving a 22-year sentence for orchestrating a murder-for-hire plot and for violating the Endangered Species Act. Now, I know that already sounds like a lot, but trust me, it's so much abject fuckery in this docuseries. If I described everything that happened in all, I believe, is seven or eight episodes, you wouldn't even believe me. Joe Exotic tried to pay somebody to murder this woman named Carol Baskin, who has a rescue foundation for big cats. Um, And she just became like the bane of Joe's existence. Like he hated this woman. I mean, he talked about how badly he wanted to kill this woman about 4,500 times because Joe Exotic also had a little public access TV show that he used to put out on YouTube. Uh, He also was a country singer. He even cut this diss track about this woman. Uh, called Hey Kitty Kitty, which low-key is kind of a bop, kind of a bop, but it gets so much better than that. Uh, Carol may or may not have murdered her husband because he went missing and has not been heard from since. And there was this rumor 
that everybody on the dock just openly talked about how she supposedly fed him to the tigers that she has on her property by way of meat grinder. Just let that sink in. Then one of Joe's husbands, and yes, I said one of, because he was married to two men at the same time, unfortunately died by suicide. The husband, well, not the ex-husband, the one who is alive, he just suffers from this like really bad case of meth mouth. So as he's explaining anything, it's hard not to be super distracted by his teeth. It's like he has one tooth on the left side and then he has one tooth like way on the right side. It's just a lot going on with his whole mouth or maybe it's not enough going on as in enough teeth. Uh, but this docuseries is just so crazy because you realize there's just a whole gang of motherfuckers out there who are infatuated with owning shit that could kill them. Like, why are people trying to own 560 pound tigers and keep them as house pets? Tiger ain't Fido. Like, what y'all doing? Look, I'm just going to speak for a lot of black people because I know anybody black who watched this docuseries. I'm going to just say what I know y'all were thinking this whole time while watching that. White people. I know that's what y'all were thinking. White people. Because only some white folks would get caught up in some shit like this. Anyway, it gets five stars from me. So I insist you check that out. Now, uh, let's get on to why the fuck I am bothered. Confession. I haven't been to Cheesecake Factory in years. Maybe in a good decade. Now, the reason I haven't been to Cheesecake Factory is because I heard this foul ass story a long time ago from a good friend of mine about something that happened to her. And her then boyfriend at the time at Cheesecake Factory. And because I know so many people enjoy Cheesecake Factory and their full thousand page menu, I decided I'm going to let y'all live and refrain from telling that story. Well, not today, because fuck it, I'm bothered about some recently filed shit that Cheesecake Factory has done during this pandemic. Now, a few days ago, I was actually prepared to live my personal ban on Cheesecake Factory after reading that they basically told all their landlords nationwide, hey, about that rent? Yeah, fuck that rent. A lot of Cheesecake Factories in prime locations that do monster business, and they basically are banking on the fact that the landlords don't want to lose their business, and considering how so many other restaurants and other businesses are in a real period of uncertainty, financial upheaval, Cheesecake Factory basically was like, y'all ain't gonna replace us. Not now. So when you think you're gonna get that rent, eh, it's not gonna be there. April 1st come around. I got nothing but an April Fool's joke for you. So I was ready to ride for Cheesecake Factory. I enlisted myself in the Cheesecake Factory army. Fuck yeah, Cheesecake Factory. Let's not pay that rent on April 1st. Everybody just needs to send their landlord a check addressed to thoughts and prayers. But then... The plot thickened. Turns out Cheesecake Factory isn't the hero we need or deserve because in addition to not paying their rent, Cheesecake Factory also isn't paying their employees and is instead forcing them to file for unemployment. Now, the least you could do is take care of the people who make your whack ass jalapeno poppers sound like souffle from the finest French restaurant. So now that I know Cheesecake Factory is working against the working man and woman, let me tell you why I don't fuck with Cheesecake Factory. So years ago, as I said, dear friend of mine, she told me about an incident that she had at Cheesecake Factory. Her, 
her then boyfriend at the time had their mouth all watered up for some tasty chicken breast dish at Cheesecake Factory. But when they got the dish, the chicken breast came with an additional appetizer that they hadn't ordered, a baked roach, as in a roach baked into the chicken breast. So as that great urban philosopher Smokey from Friday said, man, that's why I be like, fuck Cheesecake Factory. Stay unbothered. Could have thought of a million ways to do a recap of the very first season of Jamel Hill's Unbothered, but I felt like the only recap that would do this first season justice is if I was somehow able to acknowledge the versatility, humor, intellect, and other superlatives in the form of an award show. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first annual, and I know that's redundant, but I don't really care. J-H-I-U Awards, or as I have come to call it, the Jewies. This is the award you want noted in your eulogy, people. It has no redeeming value, but damn it, it comes from the heart. It's not based on anything other than if you appeared on this podcast and you were able to make people think or laugh, damn it, you were eligible for a Jewie. So let's get started and hand out some Jewies. So I am often asked, who is the best guest you've ever had on Jamel Hill is Unbothered? And I never answer the question because it's hard to pick a favorite. It feels like I'm picking who's the favorite among all my children. But I won't lie. Whenever I'm asked that question, this person pops into my mind. He walked in the studio with just a briefcase, no entourage, no social media team just a briefcase. You know somebody that shows up for an interview, like the kind of interviews I do on Jamel Hill is Unbothered with just a briefcase. They about their business and they got some shit to say. Entertainer Cat Williams was the most surprising guest that I think I had the entire first season. He revealed on the podcast that he had $59 million embezzled from him. And for that, Cat wins the You Better Than Me award. Without giving away too much, um, in my search for who was this enemy that was causing all these things to repeatedly happen to me over and over again when it shouldn't, we uncovered that it was actually my people that was involved. So we didn't really know that until the Department of Justice started indicting these people for the embezzlement of $59 million dollars from Cat Williams. So once that happened, everybody got fired, but in everybody getting fired, now their way of retaliation was to make sure that he doesn't get any of his information, that he, you know, this is basically uh, low-class extortion, but they didn't give me my invitations to the Emmy. They didn't tell me that I was supposed to be presenting. They didn't they didn't do anything. For, I made. I had like $14 million in the bank. That was all gone. Like, As with most of us that are going through things, what we can be most proud of is how we handle ourselves while things are going on. I want to make sure I, I clarify this correctly because there's a part of me that my, my mind is kind of blown. But did you just say that 
that you have $59 million embezzled from you by people in your own camp. This is the only reason the Department of Justice and the IRS were all involved is they thought that I had found some way to sequester the funds until they actually dug in and realized, why would I be money laundering my money? <laughs> right. It's yours, right? You don't right. need to. <laughs> right. I have to give it to Kat because I would have been in prison Asking y'all to put some ramen noodles on my commissary. Real talk. All right, now on to the next award. How many of you all were shocked when you learned your teacher's first name? Like their real first name. I had a teacher named Mrs. Johnson. And when I found out in real life, her name was Donna. It like blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. Like teachers are allowed to have first names. Just too crazy. And I think that's because people I love and admire, sometimes I put them on such a pedestal. I can't imagine how they are in day-to-day life. And I don't mean to Miss Johnson them, but I just kind of do. And so the next award is something I call the, I just found out Mrs. Johnson's real first name, which I give to Soledad O'Brien, because clearly I knew her first name. But what I didn't know is how often she cursed. Man, listen. It took a solid year of understanding I think how to run the business. Once I got comfortable with that, how to hire people and fire people and run the business. Then I was like, no, I am the fucking CEO of this mess and this is what we're doing. And that then became much easier, I think, for everybody else to be like, oh, okay, you're running this. Got it. Yeah, I just had um, a brief chill because I was like, oh, my God, not only am I on a podcast with my journalistic crush, but she just dropped the F-bomb. I'm sorry. I curse so much. Don't apologize because I, as people know, listening to this podcast and they're figuring this out. Because when you I want to apologize to America. mm -mm, Don't apologize. Say fuck it as much as you want because I certainly My mother, uh, who passed away recently, um, was cursed all the time, except that she's Cuban and she would curse wrong. Like, she'd be like, and I want to say shit to you. And you're like, that's not even a thing. What do you like? Oh, my God. That's not even how you say it, mom. She just couldn't get it right. That's how my grandmother was because she loved the English language and she never sounded comfortable cursing. So she would put all the wrong stuff together. Right. So it wasn't a language barrier. She just didn't know how to do it. Like she couldn't string together the motherfuckers to save her life. Right. Right. (laughs) She said all proper like motherfucker. I was like, no, (laughs) don't bother. Don't bother. Next thing I'm going to find out is that Soledad watches Love After Lockup, because y'all know that's my show, which I've talked about a thousand times. Speaking of that's my show, the next award goes to someone who was an instant podcast favorite. And despite being an accomplished rapper and singer, a lot of people who listened to the pod thought that he had another calling he was potentially ignoring. And that is a television critic. My man knew how to break down every possible show out there in a very entertaining way. So that's why the That's My Show Award goes to my man Tigolo, a.k.a. Fonte. If you've seen 90 Day Fiance, I think you're going to love this synopsis. If you haven't, this is definitely going to make you want to watch it. We are horrible people for watching these shows, Jamel Hill. I see you understand. We should not be laughing at these people's desperation this hard. But it's we all laugh. Hard. And I'm sorry. No, it, no I'm sorry. listen, it's I'm, just, I'm, I'm not shit with you. That, but no, 90 Day Fiance, nigga Michael and Angela, the Nigerian nigga and the big white bitch from damn Georgia. Nigga, let me tell you something. That shit is must-see TV. I'm in that hole. Okay, so I, I just started watching 90 Day Fiance. Oh! 
and, listen, listen. I, it's the only DVR. I just oh. started watching it, and I have been. I watch bits and pieces. Yeah. The one thing about Ninety Day Fiance, you don't need to 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 watch the previous seasons. Like you can no, just pick you up. can start right now you can start and right not now. miss anything. It's gonna be just as yo the Nigerian well. dude, <laughs> <laughs> baby, well, baby. <laughs> He's when he went to her goddamn ATM and she told him to get out three hundred and that nigga took nine. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, he's scamming, son. He's scamming. Oh my he's, god. No, I love you know. I love them. I, I will say justice for my man Sinjin. So there's this one. I don't know if you watch. So Sinjin is the nigga from South Africa. He's he's white. He's white dude. So he the nigga from South Africa, and his girl is Tanya, who is like from Connecticut. And I'm still trying to figure out what Tanya is. She looks like she's. She could be like mixed with something or some kind of maybe she's some kind of Latina or something. I don't know. But anyway, so Sinjin was came from South, came from South Africa to stay with Tanya. Tanya decides in the middle of their courtship to go to fucking Costa Rica. She goes to Costa Rica for a month, leaving Sinjin to stay there with her mom. So he's living at the crib with her mama. Oh Lord, and that sounds like a disaster. Dude. Listen, she over in Costa Rica getting salsa lessons, dancing with niggas and shit. And I just watched, I was like, man, I hope Sinjin fucks her mom. <laughs> tell me that didn't happen. It didn't happen. Oh, okay. I, if I would have oh, been right on I the show, like, I, I'm like, I'm like, I, I was like, shit, I need to go home and watch that right now. <laughs> that happened. I was hoping Sinjin would fuck, because I just, a humbling needed to happen. A humbling needed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think I'm going to need to have take a little back to review the Tiger King, for real. All right, on to the next award. So, uh, my good buddy, Michael Eaves, who's a sports center anchor, has a saying you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. Brilliant. Now, I don't know if Eves came up with this phrase all by himself, but for now, I'm going to give him the credit. One guest that I had on this season is an expert day drinker. In fact, you could even say that it's a part of his job to day drink. My man, Seth Meyers, host of the Seth Meyers show that you guys see every night. Uh, he came up with one of the greatest television bits I've ever seen. He day drinks with various celebrities and then he puts it on television. It's one of those, why didn't I think of that? Because it involves everything that I love, drinking and daytime. Two awesome things. Anyway, the best day drinking segment that Seth has done was with Rihanna, who is number one on my list for the celebrity I'd most want to party with. I'd probably end up in a ditch, but I think it'd be worth it. So congratulations, Seth. You win the Day Drinking of the Year Award. And here is Seth explaining what went down when he and Rihanna decided to day drink. I felt like I should have brought some Don Julio 1942 in here because your day drinking bit is probably, yeah. I think it's one of the funniest things on television. It's a blast to do. Right. I mean, we're just, it's just genuinely drinking with somebody that you want to drink with. <laughs> but, it, you know, the reality is you can't do it more than twice a year. I'm a 45-year-old man. The recovery from those is not. Quick. Twice a year? You really lost your fastball, huh? I have no fastball. <laughs> well, the other thing is I got two kids, I got a wife, and every day drinking segment, the last one I did with Rihanna, you know, I came home at four in the afternoon after having, you know, uh, probably 12 drinks in two hours, immediately knocked over a lamp, and my wife is just rolling her eyes at me, and then I'm a surly day drunk who's saying, this is for work. <laughs> uh, so there's not a lot of sympathy. Well, uh, that particular big uh 10 million views as of the taping of this podcast <laughs> made it. um I, which you might imagine you could probably have rihanna reading the phone book and it probably would get yes, at least let's be honest two or three yeah, million yeah, yeah. but the fact that you had her drinking only added to it so you said you had 12 drinks in two hours so like how drunk were you by the end i was really drunk i should point out that i 
you know, Rihanna was probably around six drinks. She was right there with me. Mm. I do think one of the differences, in, and maybe this is both uh, the differences in our age, obviously uh, older than Rihanna, are our cool factor. There's a difference there. Just I don't a slight point one. out. I'm pretty sure Rihanna was not done for the night. I'm <laughs> pretty sure I went home and went to sleep, and I got the feeling that Rihanna, this was the beginning. <laughs> So congratulations, Seth. And if you haven't seen the segment itself, you can just go to YouTube and check it out. So as you all know, this podcast can be a great platform if you want to dispel a rumor, get some shit out in the open, or in this case, set the record straight. With that spirit in mind, the next award goes to Don Lemon. Don has had to deal with a lot of accusations that he was a sellout, particularly after some of his live shows in Ferguson and other comments he's made in the past that people have had a lot of opinions about. I asked him, though, in particular, about that time he was on air and noted that he smelled weed in the air. A lot of people who are watching black people seem to take that as if he was saying it as in black people are the only ones that smoke weed or we're out there being disrespectful and they were on Don's head about it. So here is Don, our setting the record straight recipient, telling you what was really going on in Ferguson when he said that. This guy walked by me smoking a joint. And I think I went, well, obviously, because the guy, and I don't know if people saw that on, on camera. I think they missed that part. The guy was like, and <laughs> so I was like, it smells like weed, obviously, whatever. Blada, blada, blada. But it didn't mean like I, I, it's obvious that black people smoke weed. I'm like, this guy is smoking weed. Like, this is literally but, happening. This right is literally now. happening now. And everybody went crazy about that. I'm like, and I'm like, listen, I smoke weed. All right, that was some real ass talk. Along those same lines, what I've enjoyed most about season one is how so many guests that I've had, they just weren't shy about telling it like it is. Not going to lie, sometimes I listen to a guest and they would be on some shit so deep, it would be hitting me in the soul. One of those occasions happened when I had on Tarana Burke, who created the Me Too movement. Tarana spoke to something that we as little black girls have been told and how we've been socialized to accept or navigate predatory behavior. That's why Tarana, to me, deserves the best take award because she spoke so passionately and just so critically and eloquently about how black parents teach black girls rules that ultimately set us up to carry shame if we're violated. This is why she won the award for best take. This is something I talk to black parents about a lot because in an effort, again, this is again about oppression and about the ways that we have to think about our safety and think about survival all the time. How many little girls, in particular little girls, also get this set of written or unwritten rules, spoken or unspoken rules, right? You start here. I just did an informal survey recently. Like, when's the first time you heard you can't sit on no grown man's lap, right? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I heard that. Uh, oh, you girl, had to be about two, me. three. Exactly. You trigger me right there. Look at that. Black women know that rule. We number knew. one, yep. you don't sit on no grown man's lap. Yep. How many times a man come over to the house and somebody said, go put on some clothes? And you were in you were in regular clothes. You could have shorts on or pajamas. Go put some clothes on, right? You don't let like we get these rules from very young ages as girls about how to protect ourselves, and this and it's done from a place I think of love and concern. But what I think a lot of adults and and parents and guardians don't understand is what you're doing is making us complicit, because you also get the what the golden rule of all black children is you respect your elders. 
you respect adults. Adults are right until I say they're not right, right? The adults were right until my mother came into the school and said, oh, no, 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 you wrong. So if you're carrying these messages as children, when something happens to you, one, that's an adult, that adult is right. Two, you broke a rule. You're not supposed to let nobody touch your private parts. You weren't supposed to. So so you have little children thinking, what did I do wrong? So you already have kind of been um, conditioned to shame yourself. To shame yourself. Little black girls who are hypersexualized from such a young age are conditioned to believe that whatever this thing is, I brought it on myself. That was fire. And what's the opposite of not fire? That would be something said by this highly regarded, very talented rap star who had the hottest, worst take of season one. Y'all, he had the nerve to say that a song that in my mind absolutely slapped, a song I know many of you guys love by one of everybody's favorite rappers. He basically said it was garbage. Vince Staples had the nerve to fix his lips on this podcast to say Tupac's Dear Mama was low-key trash. Yeah, let's be real. Like if it's, it's about the experience in which you heard the song and where you heard the song. Because if, you know, if 50 Cent put out in the club right now, do necessarily work. If Tupac put out Dear Mama right now, ain't nobody listening to that. So it's like, does that take away from the quality of the song? Like, no, if they put out Rappers of Light right now, you're getting clowned. You're going to be a meme. But that's one of the most important significance. If somebody came and did a song and said a hip hop, a hippie, a hip, whatever that is, they getting clowned. We clown Blueface, and he doing a version of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it all depends on what you're looking at and how you look at it. See, I feel seen right now because <laughs> you just said that if somebody, you don't think their mama, that wouldn't no. go over right now? No. People always love their moms. Yeah, but hey, my man, go over. I had a lot of amazing black women on this show in the first season. Trina, Lala, Robin Thede, Karuchi, Niecy Nash, Tashina Arnold, Stacey Abrams. Thank you all for giving your time and your perspective. It was really a tremendous experience. All amazing ladies. But one of my favorites in the bunch is a rapper whose genius intuition told her to put my name in one of her lyrics on her new album. Now, that's not the only reason I'm giving her the Black Girl Magic Award. I'm giving it to her because she not only had the best rap album of 2019, don't debate me, don't at me either, but that album was a love letter to Black women. And most importantly, she's the type of woman who doesn't buy into this idea that her success has to come at the expense of another black woman's success. She got a tremendous shout out from Cardi B, who really opened our eyes or for a lot of people who wanted to deny this as a truth. I mean, the fact is that a lot of the hip hop that's consumed is consumed by women. And sometimes when you have a conscious rapper, quote unquote, if you will, it can be a little bit harder for them to sell in this marketplace. And I thought Cardi did a really awesome thing by pointing out just how dope Rhapsody is. And it really touched her. And I asked her about it and she gave a very thoughtful answer about why it's important for an artist like Cardi B to support her. So here's our Black Girl Magic Award recipient, Rhapsody. I would say the last, what is it, since 15 years or so, you haven't really gotten a female 
that's at the forefront of hip hop that's done that. A lot of times, you know, they expect us all to, you know, fight for one spot and like we can't show love for each other. So it made me happy and proud for her because of one of her success and her talent and being a great entertainer, but to take her position and she's doing it the right way to be a leader. Like, man, I was like, wow. Like it made me feel good and it made you make you feel like, man, it really is a sisterhood. And, you know, we we're not this false narrative. And it just made me happy and proud, too, that it's like it shows that we can listen to more than one thing. You know, what I mean, like she kind of brought balance to us. Like, yeah, I make I make this music for the club and, you know, for my girls that, you know, swing on poles or whatever they want to do. But I also listen to rap scene and I also listen to Chica and Tierra Whack. So, you know, it just it just shows because a lot of times people don't think that you can listen to those things. You know, somebody said, one of my fans said in the most poetic ways, like I, I drink water and wine. You know what I'm saying? Like Coke 45 and, and uh, Incense. That's an Erica Badu joint. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it. I just felt all good emotions for multiple reasons. Um, you know, just to get that acknowledgement when you're fighting so hard from another female. Um, proud of Cardi because, you know, she's really fallen to her leadership road and you know, I just know she's going to continue to do amazing things. And I, I love seeing women win, you know, and I, I love her energy. And two, you know, again, it just shows the sisterhood and gives balance. So, All right, everybody, the first half of the Jewies is in the books, but we got a lot more to come on the first ever award show for Jamel Hill is Unbothered coming up after the break. A memorable moment that honestly a lot of us that were in the studio that day we're still talking about and we still can't find the words to describe just what the heck happened that's coming up after the break So I have to set the scene for this next award. Teddy Riley was in town because he was receiving a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now, this man is a legend, an icon. Unfortunately, I didn't have a whole lot of time with him because he had a very tight window. But with the time I did have with Teddy Riley, he opened up in a way I did not see coming. And that's why Teddy Riley wins the I did not see that coming award. This may sound crazy, but. I have an imaginary friend, and I had him since I was four years old. So I used to see my mom and my dad argue a lot and um, fight. And all I had left, you know, I didn't have, I had a little brother, and my sister and I, we didn't get along. So I always would, you know, turn to my little brother, and we would go in the corner and, and, and you know, like big brother hug and sit back, and I would talk to the music band. The music man was my imaginary friend that I still talk to today. It was that spirit of like hearing my mom's voice, everything's going to be all right. And she used to sing that in church. I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. So those were the things that I looked at was my imaginary friend and my mom saying that. I don't think I could ever accurately describe what the studio atmosphere was like after Teddy Riley said that. Okay, 
Uh, of the many things that stood out in season one, it was the number of incredible stories that were told on the pod. In fact, coming up later, you will hear the story of the year, as in the best story told on this podcast in season one. Uh, but let's get to another incredible story that was told. All I have to say about this story is Snoop, Tupac, Suge Knight, and Parasailing. Tell me you're in. So congratulations to Snoop for winning the Gots to Be Mo Careful Award because this is one of the best vacation stories I've ever heard. What do you think you taught, Pac? Damn, the nigga was already funny when I met him. <laughs> <laughs> he pretty funny too, though, Snoop. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's what we, we, we bring that out. Like, to me, I think I, I think I taught him how to be more funnier because he was always cool but once we got together we was like anytime you see me and him on screen more than likely we laughing we we joking and we like we off script we not really sticking to the script yeah i could have seen um you two in a buddy comedy <laughs> me too i could have definitely seen that being a he case. wanted me to be an actor too we took a parasail when I won my case in uh, Belize and we was sitting on top of the world and he was telling me about a movie that he wanted to write with me in it and there was some shit about him dying and coming back and he was like, man, you need to be an actor. My nigga, I'm telling you, you can act. I seen that murder was the case. You can act. You should be acting. I'm like, for real? Like, nigga, I'm telling you, nigga, you should be acting. Then the motherfucking Suge dropped us in the water. Like, <laughs> like you know what Paracel yeah. is? Yeah. Was he driving the boat? No, he had the fucking controller. Oh, we was on a big-ass okay. boat, and okay. they fucked around and gave him the controller, and he pulled that shit down, and me and Pac was talking, and all of a sudden, we just went underwater. Whoosh. So now, nigga, like, I'm paranoid now. Like, so now he pull us up, and I'm like, cut, don't do that again. It may be sharks or anything that they can bite our motherfucking legs. He do it one more time. Whoosh. We get out that motherfucking Tupac, damn near grab sugar, and try to choke the shit out of him. <laughs> but this the type of fun that we had. When we was together, it wasn't just always so gangster. So, you know what I'm saying? It was always fun. We loved to have fun and we loved to smile. So just as this podcast was getting off the ground, we spent a week in Atlanta with the intention of interviewing all the movers and shakers, all the interesting people. We had a hell of a week. And that was in part because of this next award recipient. Look, T.I. has never been shy about anything. He has a point of view and he is going to share it whether you agree or not. He dropped a jewel on this here podcast that I have never forgotten. And for that, he deserves the Each One Teach One Award. I have found and I do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm a woman that whenever especially I have a criticism to me of certain black men that do not deserve our protection and have proven as such. Mm. Then I get called a lot of names. Like I've been, I've been going off on Florida for years for a lot of different reasons. Right. And the, some of the responses that I've gotten from black men, I was like, y'all sound like, just like these white people out here that that's always on my Cause They are like the white people out there, at least in the head. They is. It make them feel important and validated to, be considered. When you say you sound like them white men like that, they were like, oh, man, you heard what she said? She said, I sound like them white men out there, man. I'm doing something right. You dig what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think you got to realize that first. 
You got to realize, and, and I always operate under the theory, if you live for the cheers, you will die by the booze. I don't care about the good shit or the bad shit. I'm going to maintain an even temper and be who the fuck I am when I came in here and the person that I've been ever since I've been here. And I'm going to continue to do that. And whoever don't like it, they're going to have to handle itself naturally. Season one, we had a lot of knowledge droppers. And one of the best to drop knowledge was civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, whose book, Open Season, is a must read. Brother Crump dropped a serious word about marijuana legalization and the impact previous hardline marijuana policies have had on black and brown folks. Take a listen. You talk about the war on drugs, Jamea, <laughs> and when you read the book, they'll get all of this. But, you know, it was always a fake war on drugs. Oh, no it question. It was always. No marijuana in the 1930s became illegal in America because when the Mexicans started coming to the communities, white people said, they're different from us. they these little people, and they talk this funny language. We don't know if we like so many of them coming and live in our communities. And they said, well, what's different about them? And, you know, they called it marijuana. It was for cultural reasons. It was religious and spiritual for them. And America had cannabis all day long in America. We had already had marijuana, but we called it cannabis. And they started calling it marijuana. And so locally, they started passing laws to criminalize marijuana. And then they get to deport these people out of their country. And then it came all the way to the U.S. Congress. And Jamel here, do you know what the winning argument was of why marijuana became a crime in America? Oh, tell me. <laughs> you won't believe this. And... Google it. Don't take Ben Crump's word for it because I'm a lawyer. I want to present you with evidence. Right. The winning argument in 1937 and the congressman stood up in the U.S. Congress and said, we got to criminalize marijuana because if we don't, white women will smoke it and they will want to sleep with black men. <laughs> that is the winning argument. As you all know, politics is a passion of mine. That's because one, I pay taxes and therefore I have a right to be politically engaged. Two, being informed on politics is vital to our survival. People who say they don't do politics trivialize how important politics are. Saying you're not political is just ill-informed. Everything is political. You pay taxes, you political. With 2020 being an election year, I wanted to engage some presidential candidates in some honest, robust discussions, because it was important. You need to know who they are, what they stand for. I don't want you relying on Facebook posts or memes. I want you to be able to hear directly from the candidate. I had the pleasure of interviewing presidential candidates, Senator Kamala Harris, Senator Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke, and not to mention Stacey Abrams, who, like Senator Harris, is a strong possibility to be named as a vice presidential candidate. She was not a senator, not a presidential candidate, but someone who obviously ran for governor in Georgia. Should have won, but that's a whole story for another day. All of them were excellent interviews, but I was particularly struck by some comments Senator Harris made and also by former congressional candidate Beto O'Rourke. These two share the best political award 
uh, because of, you know, some thoughts that they had that I thought, you know, were important uh, to pass along or to remember or to reiterate again. First, Senator Harris explains the cost of breaking barriers. And after her, you'll hear from Beto O'Rourke, who answers a question that I think should have been asked of every political candidate on the debate stage. And that is, what is your favorite curse word? Because you can tell a lot by that answer. Here's the thing, Jamal, I have to tell you, you know, my sister and I were talking about it. When I, and I have to say when we, because it was a family decision to, made the decision to run for president. It was a long thought out process of making that decision. Because look, I mean, let me be very clear um, about what it means to break barriers. Let's just go there for a minute. You know, I mentor a lot of people. I gave the speech at Spelman recently because it occurred to me that I needed to point out to folks that, you know, breaking barriers, you know, it occurs to me that some might think that breaking barriers means you start out on one side of the barrier and then you just turn up on the other side of the barrier. (laughs) And I said, no, there's breaking involved. And when you break things, it's painful. You get hurt. You may get cut and you may bleed. It will be worth it, but it is not without pain. I I really have to work on not cursing as much. So (laughs) I I try to be as honest as as I can. And sometimes when I go into that honest place, there's there's a four-letter word there connected to what I want to say. So um, my dad was though he was never in the Navy and wasn't a sailor, um, could could string together four-letter words like nobody I've ever met. And he would make up some unique phrases. One of them was, fuck stick. And so when, when he was particularly vexed, uh, if somebody cut in front of him in line, if he'd forgotten something at home, he'd say, God damn it, fuck stick. And I've never heard anybody else ever say that. And that's just something that sticks out from my childhood. So, my dad is your word. so, so my dad, who passed away in 2001, um, some, somehow fuckstick is uniquely his. I've never heard anybody else say it. So is and it so, a noun? Is it a person, place thing? You, you, he could use it in any part of, of a sentence. He could construct an entire phrase around it. So yeah, fuckstick, now it's out there. <laughs> One of the few rules I have for this podcast is to have people on the podcast who have something to say and a perspective to share. I'm not here for agreement. I'm here to think. Michael Eric Dyson was one of my favorite guests because he challenged me big time. He made me think we had a very healthy disagreement on the podcast because we are on opposing sides when it comes to Jay-Z's partnership with the NFL. So running that back again, because this is the best argument on season one of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. I don't deny anything you said about the inclination of Donald Trump and these owners who capitulate to him who are feckless and spineless and who are subservient, right, in the most vicious way. Not all of them. I mean, there's some Arthur Blank and some other people, I think, who are trying to do the right thing. You know, the owner, maybe the uh, partner of, with Philadelphia Eagles and so on and so forth. And even Robert Kraft, for that matter, is more complicated. But having said that, we know what the mainstream is. And so I'm saying when I looked at that and I looked at the contract and I looked at the waiver thing and I looked at the offer, I'm saying at that level, I understand your point about his skepticism and I don't deny the legitimacy of that. But this is where, and I'm going to admit I'm an old black man, and an old black man says, dude, 
like you you got to take what's given the what is given to you what the defense brings you and you got to do something with it but, I just but think, what was there to be done though the thing oh is oh my god oh, what do you i, do you, I think uh, he okay. goes out there i think he goes out there and he, and he if he and did it at the what, high school what they already knew they've known for 3 years he could play yeah but it's on, but it's documented right it ain't about see but who is he proven this case to what well, well, listen it's not to the scouts it? and that's the other thing that i immediately call bullshit who sh- the people who showed up right. see people who cover the league they know who the real people are right, 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 who right. show up to scout of and course. it wasn't them. But here's so my point. Like, them, don't you is... think they put themselves in a position where like if if that that actual trial goes through, right? No matter how Colin think is bullcrap. Mm-hmm. And if it goes through and we got the documentation that we got his tape and that and that's extremely important, but those teams are there Colin gives them no excuse at all. Again, I'm saying I know it's rigged. I know it's I know it's not fair. I know it's not just. But I'm saying it's I not come... even about being fair or just. It's just about the fact that it was not. You're you're trying to prove to people who have every intention to not believe. But then they give don't them care. But let them look, look. <laughs> but look, isn't it different if you go? Wait a minute. We all saw. Now wait a minute. Now we all it's saw homeboy did his do- thing. Look, we all saw the boy do his. The homeboy doctor, do his thing. They have and then known. They, he he gave them more ammunition. I think. And again, it's unfair to even put this on him. Like, let me let me be yeah. honest. It is unfair to have that conversation. First of all, man shouldn't be begging for no job that he deserved. He didn't. He didn't give up because he wasn't skilled. Right. That's crap. So I know. Right. That that it is wrong and unfair and unjust to even ask that. But the beginning stakes for all of this stuff in a social justice movement is that is the fact that is patently unjust. It would be like Martin Luther King Jr. demanding ideal conditions under which to protest white supremacy and injustice. It ain't going to happen. They don't exist. Again, that's what you call healthy disagreement. Okay, besides healthy disagreement, I think there's also such thing as healthy not giving a fuck. I don't think any guest was out of fucks as much as Sophia Chang. Sophia has an incredible audio memoir called Baddest Bitch in the Room. If you haven't listened to it, I cannot encourage you enough to listen to this memoir. Uh, The memoir details how this daughter of Korean immigrants became one of the biggest players in hip hop. She managed the Wu-Tang Clan, Raphael Sadiq, Tribe Called Quest, D'Angelo, tons of others. Sophia is perhaps the captain of the I'm not fucking around crew. And so I am proud to honor Sophia with the I wish a motherfucker would award. For me, Jamel, I need clarity from the gate because I'm 54. I don't have time to be playing with you. So it's like I said in there, either we're fucking or we're making money or you can just keep it moving because I have amazing friends already, right? Like you have to be an extraordinary man for me to go, okay, let's just be friends or as opposed to let's do business or let's get in the bedroom. I think that there are a lot of men, and I've had many conversations with women about this, who like the proximity to amazing women but won't take that step. And I'm okay with that, Jamel. What I'm not okay with is the ambiguity. Mm. Right. So in other words, make it clear that it's never going to be there. But I think they like that lingering doubt because they know they don't want to be fucking. Right. And they know very often that the woman does want to. Right. So they'll leave you in this limbo. I can't stand limbo. I would rather someone say no straight up than kind of lead me down the garden path. And I also think that there are men who just like to be desired. Now, we all like to be desired and that's okay, but I'm not going to waste your fucking time. Like if you're coming at me and it's clear that you want to date me and you want to be romantic and intimate, I will say, you know what? 
Craig, John, Susie, whatever, I like you too, but I'm not down. I just think that men, because of their egos, because there is nothing as behemoth as the male ego, they love just the attention and everything. So I like, you know, I love being around Jamel and she's beautiful and she's luminous and she's so bright and blah, blah. Yeah, but homie, I don't have time for this. Like, what are we doing here? I really wish that we could get to a place where we could be really frank about that up front. If you made it this far in the podcast, clearly we've had a lot of really fun moments, but we've also had a lot of heartfelt moments as well. One that got to me and certainly to a lot of listeners based off the feedback I received was Soledad O'Brien talking about her parents who died a month apart from each other. It's easily our most heartfelt moment of season one. It was just tough. It was just, you know, to see somebody had a chronic cough and he would say, I still have this cold. And we all knew it wasn't a cold. And we just didn't tell him, you know, and and it was just hard. It was just hard to watch someone struggle who you really, really love. You're going to make me cry. Um, And then my mom, as soon as my dad died, we knew she wasn't going to last because they were just so tight, you know, and they really live for each other. So she just she just wouldn't sleep. And and she had dementia. So some days she'd wake up and know she called me up. Hey, listen, did you know your dad died? You know, this would be a week after the funeral. And then other days she'd say, you know, I can't find your father anywhere. And do you have any idea where your dad is? And we'd have to start again with that, you know, this idea like, well, mom, dad died. Remember, we were at the funeral the other day. So it just went downhill immediately, and we knew she wasn't going to survive. I'm sure that, um, you know, you obviously you, you still think about them. You have these memories. But does it—my mother said this to me once because she's lost both her parents now, that it it hits you at certain moments where you realize you're alone in the world. And not alone because you have children. You have a husband. But the people that are responsible for bringing you to this world are no longer here. I Some people have said that to me. I had a girlfriend who lost her dad at the same time. And so between— Myself and another girlfriend, we've had like five people die in two months. It was terrible. But no, that was never, I don't, I never felt like, oh, I'm an orphan now. I don't even know what that is outside of like a weird Hollywood, you know, <laughs> like, um, I just don't know that I did a good job for them. I don't, you know, my dad was always very lonely for old people to get very lonely. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't something I could help him with. Right. I think he wanted my mom to get up. Mm-hmm. And um, she couldn't, obviously. And so... I think that's the thing that upsets me the most is like, I just, did I do everything I could do to help him? Well, I'm, I'm sure you did. And I'm sure they were. <laughs> Thank you for the tissues. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were. I hate you for making me I, cry. That's but what I, you get for that chip, for that kid's <laughs> question. Now, there you go. <laughs> You're like, turnabout is fair play, bitch. <laughs> Very few times on this podcast have I been left speechless and been unable to somehow transition smoothly on to the next topic. But Rick Ross successfully did both. He came up with an idea right on the spot, right here in the podcast studio. And it not only left me totally speechless, but I kind of had to respect the innovation of it. So here's Rick Ross, the winner of the Hood Innovation Award, because should this whole rap star Wingstop franchise owner thing not work out? Let's just say he's got quite the backup plan. I could just be sitting at home and come up with an idea, and I tried. You know what I'm saying? I'm laying up in my hotel room and was like, yo, I got these five horses. I should start selling horse sperm. Now, that's a new one. That's a new one. Sell it to whoever want to buy horse sperm from Rosé. <laughs> 
Rick you know, Rose's horse sperm. Think about it. Let's say you got a $2,500 quarter horse, but guess what? She a female and you want to, you know, you want to breed your horse. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I should start a, create a web. Evie, you might have to set us up a website where they could come online and get that. Y'all could get that sperm. Horse sperm. Yeah, quarter, yeah. For quarter horses yeah, yeah, in yeah. particular. Yeah, because we don't want y'all to cut that up and think y'all could just buy some rosé sperm. Even though that's what it may be. It may be the Bronco Rosé Sperm. And guess what? You may have a successful business just that quick. Because there's a lot of people that want to breed their horses. And how many people really... Yeah, you could just send us a little quick cash app and we'll mail you the sperm. I have no transition for that. <laughs> so I'm just I'm going to let people absorb that idea. But actually, I do. I don't, I don't profess to know a whole lot about... Horse breeding. Um, I mean, I know traditionally how they're bred, but so you might just want you if you want one horse, you may just want a white horse, mm. and you could just specifically we're gonna have it set up on the website, right, Evie? Yes. Where if she want her white quarter horse, you are gonna be able to get the white sperm quarter horse sperm quarter horse from the sperm the rosés. The rosés. You yeah. got to think of a catchy name for it though. You got to come up with something. I'm not on the spot, but like. You know, you got to think of something to to really solidify this I idea. I got it. Uh-oh. That I quick? got it. What you got? Yeah. Instead of yee-haw, yay-haw. <laughs> and just like when it happened, I don't really even know how to transition out of that. So I'm going to just move on. I've had a good amount of singers on the podcast, some of which I would even classify as singers. Not just singers, sangers. One of the sangers I had on was B.B. Winans, who talked in depth about his weight loss journey. And one of the things that helped B.B. get in excellent shape is that he had to turn his back on something we all love ever so dearly. And that is French fries. He wrote a song about it. Like to hear it? Here it go. The Jewy for best original song. French fries ain't your friend. French fries, they ain't your friend. Now you can eat one every now and then. But French fries ain't your friend. No, French fries ain't your friend. I'm telling you, French fries, they ain't your friend. Why? Because if you eat too many, you'll have a big end. Cause French fries ain't your friend. Now, a celebrated artist singing an original song, one that they came up with on the fly, that's one category. Then there are those who have been on the pod who sang their own song, which is what Anthony Hamilton did after I made a special request. See, my husband Ian is a big fan of Anthony Hamilton's, and his favorite Anthony Hamilton song is I'm a Mess. I mean, it just cuts right into his spirit so much to the point I had to think, like, what woman are you thinking about when you reminiscing on this song? Because it is not me. So I got to wonder who it is. Anyway, I asked Anthony if he would share some of that on the pod. And so here's Anthony, who gets the award for the best song by an artist singing their own damn song. We've invested in a set of twins, small house and a dog cried out. You know, that was a painful, I was in a painful place. I'm yeah, saying. It, it, was, it was, that was 4 a.m. in New York. Yeah. Uh, that's how that I, I song. I ain't really in that place right now. So I, <laughs> so you're you like, know. it's a little harder to put your. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard. I'm smiling like I'm on. You, you are. Know. 
I think a big part of adulthood is kind of keeping it real about your own faults. I know, for example, that I can be petty. I'm Petty Murphy, Petty LaBelle, Petty Ruxpin. That's me, petty. And sometimes it's good for me to know other petty people in the world exist, that we have our own little clique, our own little unit, united in petty. Little did I know my guest, Luther Campbell, shared my penchant for petty. Because he took Petty to a whole nother level after being sued by George Lucas. Because if you recall, at one time, Luther Campbell used to call himself Luke Skywalker. So congratulations, Luke. You win the Petty Pendergrass Award from the first season of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. I had to pay him half a million dollars. So I bootlegged the shit out of his movies every time I can. I be looking at that shit on the fire stick. My son, you want to look at it? We're not going to pay no, we're not paying a dime. We're going to fire stick his ass to death. Anything say George Lucas, we are looking at, we are, we are looking at bootleg. Come get me. <laughs> <laughs> so you like every barbershop you go to, hey, I got that new Star Wars. Run me that for $5. <laughs> run that motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> Sometimes people think that because you have a certain position or a certain status or a certain platform that you won't resort to, say, laying hands on somebody in a non-biblical, non-intimate way. Tarana Burke is one of the leading advocates for survivors of sexual abuse. She started the Me Too movement. She also received some of the worst harassment I've ever seen on social media because she dares to speak up on behalf of victims. Some of y'all might think a woman in her position would be hesitant about letting her inner Bronx come out. Uh, That would be a lie. So based off her explanation about how she's still about that life, Tarana, you get the Oh, she hood hood award. My people who are, you know, in my camp are always like, they're like, we're going to take your phone. We're going to whatever. Because as a, as a black girl from the Bronx, who is not like I'm visible and I'm a, you know, people say, oh, you're a global leader. Yeah, but also I'll fuck you up. <laughs> like, be real clear. And, yeah. I, and I don't get a chance to that say That may be the favorite yeah. line that somebody's ever said on this podcast. Yo, Yo I'll fuck I just, you up. I just want to it's been sitting in my chest for like two years. Like, who the fuck you think you're talking to? Like, some of these people come at me so crazy mm-hmm. and I have to swallow it and I have to like be just graceful take it and, and be graceful. And I'm like, cool. And then, and it doesn't serve anybody for me to go off, right? It doesn't right. serve me, it doesn't serve the person because I'm going to whoop your ass. <laughs> so it doesn't serve anybody for me to just flip out. As I've said a couple of times on this podcast already, great stories were just a hallmark of season one. And nobody delivered a better travel story than Erica Ash, who starred in Survivor's Remorse and also in the BT show In Contempt. Erica wins the Travel Experience of the Year Award because she nearly put them balls on an Airbnb owner in Rwanda. Here's her explaining what happened. So we're driving and he's telling me about, you know, how he's Nigerian from England and, you know, he's here making money off of this Airbnb thing. And he's like, yeah, and your Airbnb is over there. And I said, well, why are we going over here? And he said, oh, 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 yeah. So, you know, your Airbnb is not really available. I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, your Airbnb, the people who were living there, they decided to extend for two weeks. So I wasn't going to say no to that money, right? So I'm taking you to someplace better. I said, swole up, nigga. Don't. (laughs) What you not going to do 
He about to get some hands, you. boy. Not them Decatur hands. Yeah. Listen, okay. I haven't, I haven't windmilled a nigga in a long time, but I am too tired to be dealing with this nonsense. <laughs> so he said. Don't worry, don't worry. I said, no, 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 I'm worried because you're a dude that I have never met before and I'm a woman. It's the middle of the night. I may not win, but you're going to get some cuts and bruises if you don't tell me what is going on. So he says, well, you know, usually when this happens with my Airbnb, I said, usually when this happens with your Airbnb. So this is a a regular. This is what you do. This This is is your thing, your MO. I said, well, you're not going to do this with me. He said, the, the place that I'm taking you, it's got seven bedrooms and a workout facility and, a, and, and a, a pool. I said, I'm going to sleep. It's nighttime. So all this, none of this stuff is going to matter to me at all. I want a nice clean bed. I want the one that I saw in the pictures. And I want a nice shower. And I want it tonight. And I don't need all this other frills. So he said, well, this is what it is. I mean, I can just take you to my house and blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, wait a minute. So this place you're talking about that's much better is your your house? I said, well, where are you going to stay? Because you're not staying in your house and I'm staying in your house. He said, oh, please. I said, oh, please, what? He said, of course I'm going to stay there. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> we ended up pulling over to the side of the road, having it out. Because I was just, I was, I was on bop, bop, bop city i was like you're not gonna do this to me this is so ridiculous i can't believe this so he's like well there may be another apartment available in that same complex that you chose i said will you take me there so he took me there it was the exact apartment that i had picked out on airbnb You know how on award shows they save the biggest awards for last? Well, I'm doing the same thing. And, you know, with all these stories on the podcast, I decided I wasn't going to punk out. I'm going to pick who told the best story of season one. It was difficult. Me and the committee poured over numerous entrants. We rated the story based on relatability, humor, just the overall way it was told. And we all came to a universal consensus opinion that the Jewy for story of the year goes to none other Gary Indiana's finest Freddie Gibbs I can't even think about the story he told without laughing and I'll give you a quick backstory before you actually hear the story that he told Uh, as you just heard Freddie grew up in Gary Gary is also where the Jackson family is from as in Michael Janet Reby Tito Randy Jermaine all them Jacksons it turns out Freddie's father and Michael Jackson had a bit of a rivalry in the hood for real. And that's all the backstory I'm going to give you. I'm going to just let Freddie, winner of story of the year, take it from here. I ain't really never talked about this shit either, but like Michael Jackson and my dad was the two little niggas in the neighborhood that was singing. They was known as the two little niggas that could sing and like Gary and shit, like two little child niggas. So, like, so Michael Jackson was like your dad's like rival. Yeah, damn near. Yeah, hell yeah. So, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I mean, it's also, it's so fascinating. <laughs> well, Mike, shit, that, hey, Mike was fucking that nigga up though, man. Because I was like, I'd be telling that nigga, I mean, we'd be little. When I was little, with Mike videos come on, I'd be like, see, yeah, Mike fucking you up, nigga. You can't fuck with Mike. He'd be like, fuck you, little nigga, and fuck Mike. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, dad, you can sing your ass off, man, but that nigga Mike could dance. Mike White now, nigga. You can't turn white, nigga. Like, what you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, nigga? You can't do all the shit that Mike do. Mike got a monkey, nigga. 
The fuck? We sitting in this motherfucker, nigga. You ain't got no monkey, nigga. You talking shit about Mike. Shut your fuck ass up. That's crazy. I went against my daddy for Mike, nigga. For Mike. Now, I hope that you all didn't think that just because this was an awards pod that I was going to forget two of the most important elements of every Jamel Hill is Unbothered show. This or That was a fun segment I did every show that really did come out of nowhere. I just wanted to figure out a way to ask my guests more things and ask them things that us civilians debate about all the time. So there were a few questions in This or That that I asked almost every guest. And these were the questions. I'm sure they'll sound familiar if you've been listening for a while. Hit them up or no Vaseline, thriller or off the wall, sugar or salt on grits. Those were three staple questions. People were really passionate about those questions. So here's the best of this or that featuring Ice Cube, Erica Ash, Big Crit, and my man Roy Wood Jr. Off the wall or thriller? Thriller. Damn, Roy, it's one answer, dog. That ain't the answer. The answer's yeah. off the wall. It's always off the wall. Oh, Roy. Oh, we were doing yes, a tiger. So well. You were next to a tiger. We were doing so well. Do you understand how amazing that thriller video was? He was on a date, turned into a werewolf, turned back into a regular person, and she still went out with him. That's gangster. You got to respect that. The ancestors rolling in their graves right now. He did not a baby on that album. He did. And, and Moonwalk says that I'm the one. The kid is not my son. And then Moonwalk. And then Moonwalk. And and the little cubes lit up. <laughs> and that was in the that. ghetto. Michael Jackson was making the sidewalk light up in the ghetto. Off the wall or thriller? This is not hard. It's not. Uh, listen, <laughs> I'm trying to in my in my head. I'm trying to think of of all the different songs from Off the Wall because I know. Uh, you know, Thriller at the back, like, yeah. Yeah. It's the falling in love, rock with you, you know. Wait, that's off the wall? That is off the wall. You don't have to they, tell me some of the some of the names. Of don't this. Stop Till You Get Enough. That's also off the wall. I was like, I can go through the whole discography if you would like, Oh, oh no, 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 no. You could have, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, you could stop there. I can start Off the wall for me. Ah! Because when you say, when, as soon as you hear... <laughs> See what I'm saying? Rock with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't stop till you get enough. She's out of my life. Oh, yeah. Like all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Off the wall for sure. See? Salt on grits or sugar on grits? <laughs> Salt. See? All you guys from Mississippi, all you Southerners, y'all don't all say salt. Some of y'all still saying sugar. Yeah, but that's oatmeal at that point. See, this why this why I fuck with you. This yeah, why I'm you saying, know that. Or look, cream of wheat. Like yeah, I'm not it's salt on grits. Yeah, I am. Salt and cheese and yeah, pepper. Man, yeah, and you can throw some bacon in there if you just want to. See? Which is yeah. Hey. Sugar or salt on grits? Salt. Ooh. Who will put sugar on ugh? <laughs> you from Alabama, dude. Cream of wheat a, ass. A lot of y'all Alabamians do that. Oh, salt. Okay. We all die at 50. All right, everybody, uh, that almost concludes the season one award show. Uh, before I end things for real, I just want to thank all the sponsors of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Uh, your support has been much appreciated. And of course, feel free to come back for season two. But most importantly, thank all of you for rocking with me this first season. Trust me, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate the love that you've shown. Continue to tell your friends, your family, your coworkers all about this podcast uh, from a socially distanced space of course but let me tell you season two where we are already taping that 
and we've added some things that are gonna blow your mind this shit about to be fire changing up some things as i said adding some things but you can still expect to find the most compelling guests right here on this podcast also don't forget follow the show on instagram the handle is j hill unbothered you can also follow the show on twitter under that same handle and on facebook it's jamel hill is unbothered one more announcement as i said at the top of this podcast and some of you may have already seen this in the news but i'm going to be doing another podcast which is set to launch sometime in april i'll be co-hosting the podcast way down in the hole with my boy van lathan for all of my wire fans out there you guys been waiting for this uh, because way down in the hole is a podcast where van and i will be breaking down every single episode of the wire i made it y'all i'm getting paid to watch tv as for jamel hill is unbothered look for this podcast to return in may if you follow the accounts on social media you'll know exactly when the date is but for now definitely may is the target now, y'all know how this podcast usually ends. It ends with a fuck it, I'm bothered. Now, I've done a lot of fuck it, I'm bothered that I'm proud of, but I got to keep it real. For as many as I've done, I did not do the best fuck it, I'm bothered of the year. Not even close. If you remember, at the very beginning of this podcast, I used to let the guests chime in on the fuck it, I'm bothered. Sometimes they would even do their own. The only reason I stopped doing that because that's a lot for the guests to handle. I want them to concentrate on being great, telling great stories, giving us insight, dropping knowledge, giving us jewelry, that kind of thing. So I thought it just kind of flowed better to have me doing it by myself. Well, the best fucking I'm bothered of season one, hands down, was Killer Mike. Now, I was bothered because Georgia had a creek that was actually called Runaway Negro Creek. And as I'm going off about how awful it is that in 2019, you still had a creek called Runaway Negro Creek, Killer Mike, well, let's just say he had a different way of looking at things. Take a listen. Runaway Negro Creek implies that I do not agree to slavery, contrary to what Kanye said. So you see the empowerment. Nigga, I'm running. <laughs> I'm running. Fuck you, so nigga, we going tonight. Now, it'd be different if you say, well, we named it Harriet Tubman Creek. You know what I'm saying? We named it. But you named Freedom. It's a Freedom Parkway. What Freedom mean? Fuck that. Runaway Negro Creek. I'm out this bitch. The night. Massa gone. I'm out too. He went to see his other girlfriend. I got to go. Harriet Tubman was a guerrilla warrior. She was not somebody who just popped up on Sundays. Hey, really? Oh, no. I'm a Southerner. You know, so a lot of stuff that y'all get offended by don't offend me because I'm empowered by like, regardless of what you say, Negroes ran away. And so freedom giving it us, this is, this is free. This is, I killed my master land. And where, where is that? Now? That's what I want to know. Where's the, oh, we killed some Crackers Creek. This segment is not how I saw this going. But that's how it's going. <laughs> I never Got saw it going right. in that this That says empowerment. I fought back. Hell, you talking about? <laughs> Ain't no victims. It's a, so, 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 we fought back. You are victimized. Women, some women have some women be victimized through rape, through hurt, through torture. And you got some women, something clicks. You fuck around in the more tie class. They just like, I'm a survivor. I'm not going to ever be victim. You know what I mean? That is black people. Yes, we have been used, we've been abused, we've been products, we've been thrown away. But to run away Negro Creek implies that they knew, hey man, they not gonna stay. This just proves what a 
incredible, thoughtful individual you are. Because you may have successfully convinced me to take back my fucking Umbaga. I'm going to go and, get and ride for Runaway Negro. I'm give me a Runaway Negro Queek shirt made. Watch <laughs> me by Kruvy Clothing, who made this shirt. Shouts out to Kruvy. Runaway Negro Creek coming soon. Believe that. No <laughs> bullshit. Shouts out to Skidaway Island, Seaport, West Savannah, Yamacraw. Yeah. All right, everybody, that's my time. As I told you, the podcast season two will return in May. Until then, if you haven't downloaded every episode or listened to every episode, feel free to go back and listen to the ones you may have skipped because you might have been thinking, you know what? Do I really want to hear from this person? Are they really going to give me something that I could get fed off of? Am I going to get some knowledge here? Trust me. It's the people you least expect that have the most to share. So make sure you go back and listen to those episodes you may have skipped. Uh, it's worth it. Um, until then, everybody, just be easy, stay safe, and y'all know the deal. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill.